0: Okay, we're recording whenever you want to go.
1: All right. (laughs) Welcome back, everybody. Podcast Evolution, we're here. We are on episode four now of X-Men Evolution.
0: Mutant Crush.
1: Mutant Crush, which is a little punny because Blob has a crush and he's also fat and can crush people. (laughs) (laughs) It's so funny.
0: Yep. Yep. They overcorrected on the episode titles meaning something because this would double meaning
1: oh yeah yeah like next one's gonna have like oh next one's got like floor meanings i mean it's all over the place right there so there you go. <laughs> perfect well let's go ahead and give you a little uh description of what's going on in this episode uh so you know we get into this episode we meet uh fred dukes who is of course known as the blob one of the original uh brotherhood mutants from the brotherhood of evil mutants from the 1960s he is introduced uh and you know recruited by mystique to come join the brotherhood he befriends Jean Grey before becoming a super nice guy and kidnapping her. Uh, and then, of course, we have our little B plot going on between Scott and Rogue—a little bit of a uh, unrequited love story between her and him, and then him and Jean, and then a little bit of a will her, will she, won't she, with Rogue, will she join the X Men, won't she join the X Men? But we'll get into it later. So let's let's get into the cold open, which was the monster trucks. So. So we forgot think, to
0: introduce ourselves.
1: Oh my gosh, we did. Well, we can like rearrange things, right? So. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, I am Lisa, aka Noct- Nocturne, Get. Noct- I haven't decided what my name is, but my name is Lisa. Uh, I go by she, her, and you can find me all over the place online. I don't know why I said that.
0: But... I'm Christopher, uh, and my online handle is generally Crash Opossum, and...
1: Did you my pronouns
0: are he and him yes right, i nice. did decide because i really love possums and i'm just gonna go with it
1: and you also have lots of pouches <laughs> and i call you bitey so there you go oh, the
0: big one bitey.
1: <laughs> all right um so let's talk about the beginning of the show because you know we we get right in there we're with the monster trucks i mean we're we're starting out heavy in the redneck arena, right? Like, yeah, you know, it's a state
0: this... fair, um, yeah. and and where this state fair is, we don't actually find out. But
1: I can tell you where it's not, Connecticut.
0: <laughs> I don't know. Lots of state fairs in the bluest of states essentially look like this.
1: I'm not so... talking blue versus red. I'm talking just like there's just literally not the room in Connecticut to even do that. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Uh, He's introduced as the world's strongest teenager, um, which was interesting. Everybody loves him until he makes a bit of a fool of himself by falling as he takes a bow. Yeah. And that launches the episode long and maybe more don't laugh at me trope with Blob.
1: Yeah, it's a little... um... Well, first of all i think that the way they make us understand his powers was probably the best i think that his power introduction was probably the best power introduction we've had of anyone so far Mm -hmm. because it's just you know he's he's the world's strongest he's he's super strong and super invulnerable and what he can do he's got two cars and he's pulling them together i mean it's just Mm -hmm. great it's a it's a great visual it's it's very clear this is what he does and i thought that was great Um, I did think it was interesting that he jumps very, very high into the air when he pulls the cars together, Mm -hmm. which, you know, that's a little bit more uh, agility than Blob is known to have. Uh, But still, uh, you know, he, you know, he's, it it was an interesting, it's a very good introduction to his power set. But yeah, it's, it's the the whole laughing at me thing is, you know, it, it, it was an introduction into that where we're going to be getting into that more in depth. And learning more about why he has that issue,
0: and I, I think that that was an interesting way to introduce him. So this is the fourth episode, and so far, none of the new characters, the ones that are introduced in the episode, have been comfortable and and clearly like adept with their powers until now. And so yes. we've we've with Fred, uh we get a sort of inversion of the formula which up until this point has been um who am I what am I and this time we've got he knows exactly who he is and what he can do
1: yes but and he's not hiding. nobody else does yes and, and he's not hiding either like the other characters even when they're a little bit like Lance is a little bit better at using his power and even Nightcrawler like we don't get do as much of that backstory with him but he can clearly use his teleportation but he they both are hiding a little bit more he's out there in the open he's like listen i am the world's strongest teenager come at me throw a car at me i'll throw it right back
0: yep yeah Yeah, and what he does is absolutely amazing but also there there's this sort of matchup where he looks like he could do that yes and because of that he can do it out in the open like he he is literally enormous not just fat we're going to talk about that um but like he is enormous just in general he's He's, a behemoth he's got to be about like seven feet tall
1: yeah yeah he's he's huge he's 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 a behemoth he's a large uh, you know like a a monolith he's a huge thing like a being like he's not just a fat person Yeah. He's, he's meant to be larger than life and bigger. I will say though, that, um, Xavier clearly has a little bit of, uh, he doesn't like light the fire under the asses of his team to go after the poor students. Like he really doesn't like, I mean, clearly we're also getting a little bit of, you know, we're not dealing with the richest people here. We're not dealing with. I mean, he clearly doesn't come from a very good family background. If he's already kind of dealing, like, working, you know, in a sideshow essentially, and you know, the first person to get on the scene is Mystique. You know, yep. Wolverine and and Jean stops for Starbucks on the way, and you know, because Xavier yep. was like, well, he's poor, don't worry, you know, take your time.
0: Yeah, and he also does not have parents again. So we we yes. got that theme. This is now our fourth episode. None of the Brotherhood have parents. Um, sometimes well, they don't have parents explicitly.
1: To be fair, Mystique loves any child she hasn't given birth to. So <laughs> she just goes around collecting them. She's like, if, as long as you didn't come out of me, you're, I'll take you in.
0: And going back to the, the high jump bit, which I think is great because it shows that he's actually really agile. Yes. When he's not, you know, being awkward and angry. Um, yeah. But also, I like it because my personal favorite take on the blob's powers is that he's actually got gravity powers.
1: Huh.
0: And, okay. um, or he's actually got inertia powers, sort of like the juggernaut. That essentially he's an inverse juggernaut. So you've got the unstoppable force, but yeah, unstoppable force, immovable object.
1: Okay.
0: And if you're an immovable object, then. You're doing something with mass or gravity or inertia and i think that those are all like interesting ways to think of blob's powers which that high jump and yank the two trucks together with a bunch of force shows it it might be more like that might be more than just he's very strong and very heavy and more he's actually got some sort of powers that warp physics.
1: I like that. I like that. I always felt like Blob, um I always felt like Blob kinda got written off as a bit of a one-note character, and he kinda mm-hmm. is a bit of a one note character. I mean, I don't think he was intended for greatness when he was created in the nineteen sixties. You know, I think that he is the character he is. He was created the way he was created because of the way tropes were in the, at the time, you know, it it, fat, fat characters were always coded to be kind of either the funny characters or the villainous characters, you know, you know, back in that time. And Mm -hmm. on top of that, it was, you know, visually, it's very easy to draw him into a background and immediately know exactly who he is, you know? So I don't necessarily know that they had great plans for him when they first you know, created him, but there's definitely been some interesting stuff done with him since then. Um, Not a ton, unfortunately, but, you know, there's been some interesting things done with him, but it's, I think it's interesting they chose him for the show. Uh, I think that a big part of the reason they chose him for the show is I think they tried to stick to kind of some of the more iconic characters from the Mm -hmm. X-Men comics and uh, especially some of the iconic Brotherhood characters, which Blob is definitely one of the iconic Brotherhood characters. Uh, And, you know, like he's, a character that people just know like you know who the blob is
0: yeah yeah and and in that same vein i mean it was the brotherhood of evil mutants and yeah. um i've got a quote here from stanley that says we were kind of corny those days and like yeah the, the rest of the team is is like like toad toad is that same level of like yes this is a bad guy um which with Toad, it's slightly less problematic than with Blob, because yeah, literally what makes Blob bad is that he's heavy. I mean, he's at least just um, socially inept, which if you are that size, because he's he's gotta be seven feet tall and he's gotta be, what, 400, 500 pounds, somewhere in there, just because he's very, very large. Um, and he's clearly not well educated. Um, I won't say he's stupid because um, he's he's not. He's just
1: no, he's just not educated.
0: Not yeah. educated. And probably, um, I mean, we get the sense from this sh- that you know he quit school because um, he tells mystique I don't know if I can do school again. Mm-hmm. I didn't fit in. And so there there's definitely like he's always been socially stunted for some reason um i i'm not going to to try to psycho diagnose him but like
1: probably a good idea
0: like clearly he has been alienated from his his peers socially
1: he he's the kind of guy who can't walk down the street without people staring and it's not even a matter of being rude it's a matter of if there was a seven foot tall 700 pound guy walking down the street even everyone's gonna glance. You know what yeah, I mean? There's, that's
0: gonna just, catch the eye.
1: Yeah. There's no way. Even even if the most kind-hearted person, you're still gonna like catch a glance at the seven-foot-tall, 700-pound guy walking down the street. It's just, you know, it's it's. So he's, and he's he's not. He doesn't have a sense of humor, and because he doesn't have a sense of humor, he doesn't know how to laugh at himself. And so he yeah. takes everything to heart and takes everything personally. And you know, it's and then. And he doesn't know how to control his anger. And we see that when, you know, Duncan calls him a sideshow freak and he then goes and pulls the lockers off the wall, which, you know, no, again, I bring it back to, no one in Bayville asks questions. No one, no one, no one is like, this new guy who's seven feet tall and 700 pounds, he can pull lockers off the wall? That's weird. You know, like no one asks questions.
0: Yeah, uh, but again, like I said, Fred literally looks like he could do that. Oh, and yeah, so his his powers are the least obvious least um, surprising powers out of everybody in the show. Because like someone moving something with a mind, like nobody can do that. But mm-hmm. a seven foot tall guy being super strong by everybody else's standards, like no, that, that just kind of checks out. Um. Enough to that maybe in this case, not asking questions almost makes sense.
1: Yeah. Well, I, I, I hear you. Even still, I mean, pulling the lockers off the wall. That's,
0: yeah. That's,
1: you know. Yeah. Being strong. Like, yeah, maybe I, I could say, yeah, you could probably do a lot of things. You might be able to, you know, maybe, maybe lift a car a little bit off the ground a little bit. But, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, that's, that's.
0: I do want to cool. know how. Mystique sold him on coming to Bayville because that the conversation there, before we stop hearing the conversation, is she says he she has an opportunity for him. He says, if you're from the circus, beat it. She says, oh no, what I've got is far more interesting. High school is not far more interesting than a circus. So I want to know if he's the first person on the Brotherhood team that knew what he was getting into that she sold him on like come with me you'll go to school but at night you can beat the crap out of everybody like because he's obviously got an interest in um doing damage
1: yeah yeah i mean she could have she could have very easily um gone to him and said you know i'm gonna bring you to a place where people won't laugh at you anymore you know, or, you know, we're going to work on creating a world where people can't laugh at you because you're going to be one of Your your home of superior. You're going to be so much better than them, you know? That... Yeah, but
0: that's not Mystique's style in this show.
1: Yeah, but the th- Mystique, I don't know, because Mystique's style changes all the time. Like, she's always, she's literally an enigma. She's always changing. She's always shifting. She, Mystique is always doing whatever is going to help her in the moment. So mm-hmm. she's never above or below anything is, is my, is my read on her. Do you know what I'll I mean? Like, you on that. Yeah. yeah, like she's, she's never one to say, oh, I'll never do that. No, no, no. If, if doing that gets her what she needs, she'll do it.
0: Yeah. Um, so going back to your um, he takes everything personally. He takes everything personally both ways. So, all of the bad stuff, obviously, he takes that very personally with all of the don't laugh at me stuff. Mm-hmm. But also, like, Gene is the only one nice to him. And immediately, like, he, he takes that overly personally.
1: I do want to mention that the director, uh, Frank Power, um, which I believe is how you say his name, he mentions in the uh, little. Uh, DVD extras that Blob is actually his favorite X men which I think is a choice. <laughs> hey, everybody's no, not like, their favorite. He,
0: he could be really interesting, and and I think we do get a little bit of that here. That he's not just he's not just played for laughs, and like despite the fact that he's clearly quote unquote bad because he can't handle it, um, and he's clearly like overreacting by usual standards he also like th- his his size is not played as a joke not really that is th- true there is a bunch of stuff in here that's um fat phobic by like incidentally fat phobic but his size is n- is not a joke to the people we're supposed to like
1: I would agree with that. I would say that it's not a necessary, I I would say that his size is not a joke because he's fat so much as he's just big. Yeah. I would like, I don't think the, although there is the scene in the cafeteria where he like loads up all the food on the plate, but again, he's huge. Like he's massive. And then like on the other side, you have nightcrawler who's constantly eating and is small. So it's like, that's, I don't know that that's played because he's fat or it's just, he's a big character. And like, that's the joke. But, um, I don't think like, yeah, I don't think the whole joke is like, ha ha ha, this guy's fat. It's just a matter of, you know, he should be in a sideshow because he's massive. He's, he's seven feet tall and 700 pounds. He's massive. That's why he should be in a sideshow. You know, it's.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, And actually that food bit is the only time that they really lean into some of the fat tropes. Um, At least in my opinion, Uh, other than the fricking overalls, what the hell overalls.
1: Um, Uh, I think that's, I think that's leaning into the redneck trope. That's what I think that's leaning into.
0: Yeah, although he calls everybody there the "small town hicks," and he's he's got an accent that sounds northeast to me, but maybe I'm wrong.
1: I don't know. I, I looked up the voice actor, and the voice actor uh, is—I don't think—is not—is not southern, um, and has done a ton of voice acting and not much else. So, yeah,
0: they—they um, they do make him a little bit interesting. Like he has—he has some motivations. Um, he's. I mean, the, the fact that he's confused by his schedule is a little bit over the top on the he's not too bright. Um,
1: I disagree, because when you're new in a school and, you know, think about this way. You're new to a school and you don't know where anything is and you're being given a schedule and the bells ringing and everyone's in the hallway. And it's like, now where I got to go? That makes yeah. sense to me. I don't, I don't yeah. begrudge him of, of not having any idea where he's supposed to go, especially as somebody. I mean, he's been in a sideshow, in, in a monster truck sideshow for how long i mean when's the last time he was at school
0: yeah um so do do we want to dive back into the um stop grabbing each other come on consent conversation that is now a running conversation three episodes in a row um
1: in in regards to blob kidnapping gene
0: and also yeah so like he kidnaps her twice kind of um and also people try to grab Rogue. Um, Wolverine grabs Jean. Um, and, and like, it's just, we're, we continue to grab each other in this show.
1: There's a lot of grabby hands. There's a lot of grabby hands. That is for sure.
0: Yeah. Um, so again, we, we get the consent conversation coming up. Um, it's even more explicit in this. Um, because of the um, the nice guy kidnapping that happens between <laughs> Blob and Gene, um, yes. he literally grabs her and forces her to talk in private, which is super ominous. Um, yeah, she fights back and um, like is just trying to get him to let her go, um, but then that pretty quickly turns into her trying to hurt him enough that he'll let her go. And in that incident, um, she throws cinder blocks and a dumpster at him and he hits things with the dumpster and in scaffolding full of cinder blocks uh, that we have no idea why it's there um, falls on them. He protects her, but also she gets wanged in the head by what's probably a cinder block, at which point he kidnaps her a second time while she's unconscious.
1: Yeah, and oh, Never go to a second location is all I gotta put never go to a second location with anybody ever
0: yeah i I mean there, there That's is when they kill you definitely a like no one tried to stop him in the in the courtyard um when he was clearly like dragging her away uh on the other hand, he's obviously incredibly large and incredibly strong. And but nobody says anything either.
1: Yeah, but again, this was made in 2000. You know, like it's okay. So now a little bit of like my true crimeness is coming out
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> because this is this is a conversation that can be had a can be had a lot about. Uh, the bystander effect, and you know, people not acting when when other people are in danger. And there, yep. this has come out a lot recently because there's been a lot of talk about the Kitty Genovese case that happened in the 1960s, where very very famous case where the woman was murdered in uh, her apartment building complex, like literally in the courtyard of her complex, and they said something like 30 something people heard and nobody called the police, and like the killer came stabbed her, left for 10 minutes. She was laying there in the vestibule dying. He came back and finished her off and nobody called the police. And even, and even then it's was not correct. and you know. But the, the whole idea is basically, you never know what's going to happen in the situation. You never know how you're going to react to it. And there's a lot of reasons why people don't. And again, we're talking about an X-Men cartoon. I don't know why I'm going into all this stuff now. <laughs> But, you know, there's a reason why people don't react to certain things and why, uh, you know, and the whole thing is, though, that Blob needs to get Jean out. Blob needs to get her into a location by herself so he can have play out the rest of his story. He can have this moment of, you know, uh, of, of you you were, you were nice to me. And therefore, this is your punishment because you yeah. were nice to me.
0: So b- before we move on, I just want to note that um especially recently there's been a lot of conversation about how the uh the kitty she G- vc um bystander effect like the the news report that launched that off and then launched a bunch of studies like has been shown that it, was com- it absolutely was fabricated
1: oh it's completely wrong completely wrong yeah there were people who in the buildings were like we called the police like the police didn't respond but we called the police and there was the one thing uh that was one part that was reported that she died alone and the woman who lived next door to her was like, no, I was there. I was there with her, holding her when she was there. Like, so yeah, it's, uh, you know, for anyone listening who cares about that stuff, yes, that's true. It was was completely fabricated. Like a lot of things, there's a lot of stuff that we believe that is, you know, comes from uh, something that was completely fabricated. Like for example, uh, vaccines don't cause autism, guys. Turns out. Yeah. Uh, (laughs)
0: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So we we do have the weird nice guy trope. I do want to to press on that a little bit because in the same episode, where clearly Blob is in the wrong here mm-hmm. by being over, pos- like being possessive and over um, overestimating Gene's interest in him, mm-hmm. uh, Scott also reacts to Fred that same way. Um, So, like, in in my notes, I wrote Possessive Doof versus Possessive Doof. Um, We've got that scene in the... um, Right after the food fight in the cafeteria. And, essentially, Cyclops threatens Fred um, on the basis of him talking to Jean. Um, Which, granted, Fred had just almost hurt her. Um, But... The way that Cyclops handles that that situation is very possessive as well. Um, and and that actually feeds into the subplot between Cyclops and Rogue. Yes. And... Which we should
1: definitely get into that.
0: So let's get into that.
1: Oh, okay. Um, well, I will say that I think that we're supposed to be okay with Scott being possessive over Jean because like, Scott and Jean are a thing we're supposed to we're supposed to root for that they're not well they're not in the show but we're supposed to root for that we're supposed to want that you know this is this is something that I this is a a critique I have of across all x-men media Mm -hmm. is stop trying to make John like stop trying to make Scott and Jean happen Mm
0: -hmm. like
1: just let it happen Because I feel like in every piece of X Men media that I've watched, unless you come into it where they're already together, they're just like trying to smash them together, and I'm like, stop! Like, just let them happen. Yeah, and we get the same
0: thing with Gambit and Rogue in yeah. It's just just let
1: them just let them happen. Like, just like if they're gonna happen, let them happen. And let's be real, Scott and Jean, they're
0: they're bad for each other.
1: They're really bad for each other. They are not a great couple. They, they're, their story has, Scott is terrible. Scott abandoned his child and his wife when Jean came back to life. Like he's terrible guys. All right. Read Inferno, everybody. That is your lesson today. Read Inferno. He's terrible. He is awful. And yeah, they're just not good for each other. They're not a good couple. Like right now they're all on the moon having sex with Wolverine. Great. That's fine. Enjoy. Have a good time. But like, it's just, yeah. So I have an issue with them. They're all, all the different media is really trying hard to like push them all together. And I'm very happy that, you know, I'm happy to not see it happen as much anymore because, you know, like ah. give the, opp- like give the characters opportunity to to see other things, to be other things, to do other things rather than to constantly have to fit into this like square peg of this is this mold that you must fit into of this Scott and Jean, like love, love affair that must happen. Yeah,
0: and that was so the first time that Scott was at all interesting to me was when he started dating Emma and, mm. and partially because of exactly what you just said was his mindset was that he could never measure up to what Jean or what he thought Gene wanted and needed. And that there was an enormous amount of pressure to just make it work especially because of their history and, and it was just easy with Emma. Um, and, and now with the, the house of X situation on the moon, like that actually makes way more sense to me than most of the history of Cyclops and Gene. where essentially the, the, <laughs> the concept is we're all attracted to each other. Let's play house and and just see what happens um now i do think that it's odd and i do think that there's weirdly forced tropes happening there and i and i don't think that that's an accident on the on the writing part or on the writing side of things
1: mm-hmm.
0: um i think it's supposed to be awkward and weird because they call each other son and dad and um and yeah it, it's a it's weird Mm-hmm. But also on that on the silent side of things, like actually the the weird poly relationship between three people that kind of hate each other, but also like have this long history. Um, and it's weird because they hate each other, not because it's Polly. Um, it actually kind of makes sense if they just admit, "Oh yeah, we're we're all just attracted to each other, and
1: yeah, maybe we all- just go with it." Yeah, we are all attracted to each other. We just don't want to sleep in the same bed night after night. Like I mean, that's pretty we want fair. S- we want to like we're happy to screw each other, but like I want to go back to my bed and shut my door and lock it at the end. Like that's what I want to do. Um
0: That feels fair to me.
1: Yeah. <laughs> but maybe also, I'm a
0: terrible person.
1: I will say that this is a totally my opinion. It has no, it's has no basis in ev- anything, but I almost feel like the whole dad thing is almost a send back to so when claremont originally wrote madeline Pryor and you know cyclops marrying her and having a baby the whole idea was that he was being retired he was not supposed to come back like that was the end of his character like mm-hmm. so long farewell thank you uh now like we're gonna focus on the new characters and we're gonna retire the older characters but of course they brought gene back and that changed everything i almost feel like this is like a kind of like a nod to that where it's like, you know, hey, the whole intention was he was supposed to be a dad and just be done. Like, he was supposed to be driving Nathan to the soccer game and, you know, like, whatever. Yeah,
0: which we we got the entire Phoenix saga out of basically the same idea. She was supposed to to leave and not come back. Yeah. Um, And and Cyclops was the only one that was going to stick around with the all-new X-Men. But that didn't happen because they wanted Jean back and then just kind of went from there. Um, NerdSync has a really good mini documentary about how we got the Dark Phoenix Dark Phoenix yeah. saga. Uh,
1: I will say yeah. that it's and this is I mean this is so off topic right now, but I I will say that you know in the in the current era that we're in, it is absolutely genius to run with the idea that the um, that that you know mutants are basically immortal because I mean it's been the it's been the joke of the X Men for how many decades right like that yeah just that they're going comics. to go extinct yeah and well no no the joke of the, the joke of the x-men for decades has been like kill one they're gonna come back you know what i mean it's just like right. so so let's just get rid of it like they're immortal they can come back anytime who cares you know yeah
0: and you also get rid of the the bog that has been i don't know almost 20 years of x-men comics have been bogged down in the like um. Uh, rather the going beyond the world that hates and fears them to the, like, mutants are definitely going extinct and have yeah. to fight for their survival. And that that just kept getting recycled into stories. And now, like, Ugh. no, absolutely. Mutants are not going extinct.
1: Oh, yeah, no, they're coming back They're And so, so you, yeah, we're bringing back ones that were dead. Like, oh, you know, you haven't seen. Oh, you haven't seen Mask in a while. Well, guess what? He's back.
0: So anyway, um. <laughs> do you know okay. <laughs> do you- that, that is simpsons reference number three of this episode Listen, so if you sweet.
1: if you're listening to this and you don't you do not expect simpson episodes i don't know it's simpsons references i don't know what you expect i don't know what you expect we
0: have Where's- we have put away the freaks and geeks references so we're gonna have to bring those back too yes we will yeah um okay so uh back to the episode um
1: it goes in the outtakes
0: they 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 up the ante on the nice guy trope by having him um light a bunch of candles while she's tied up. And like he's being nice, but also he kidnapped her and has her tied up. And so they, very... they go hard on that trope.
1: Oh yeah, it's it's very um unhinged. It's very like it's mm-hmm. it's it's two different sides of the coin where you have on one side you have him like Lighting these candles, he set this table. It's very romantic. It's very beautiful. You know, a woman walking into this w- with her boyfriend would be very like excited about it. would would feel would feel very romanced by it. Um, but then on the other side of things, you have Jean tied to a chair. <laughs> so, you know, right. it's
0: yeah. And that's actually, I think that it's not two two sides of the uh, two sides of a coin. I think it's the same side of the same coin. That yeah. um, he thinks that if he's nice, even if he has to force her, then he's still being nice. Um, which is the the like very problematic um, nice guy trope that eventually turned into incels. Um, this is pre-incels, incels stuff, though. Oh, yeah. Um, where he's fully using physical force to um, get what he wants because he feels entitled to Gene, even though he absolutely should not. Um, and yeah, so it's, it's, it's another essay on consent.
1: Yes. And can I tell you just as a woman who has lived her whole, pardon me, sorry, as a woman who's lived her whole life as a woman um, and grown up as a woman, I felt this episode a little bit Mm-hmm. Because there's definitely been those moments of when you are nice to a guy. I mean, I can think, I remember this one time, I think it was in 2004 when we went to Comic-Con. I remember being at Comic-Con and I was nice to this guy in line and he was like, hey, can I have your number? Like asking me all these things. And it's like, I don't even live in San Diego. And I gave him a fake number and then he just pulled out his cell phone just called me. And I'm like, what are you oh my, I like had to run out of there. I'm like, are you kidding me? But it's like, this is mm-hmm. something women go through every freaking day, every yep. single day. You have to be so careful who you're nice to because you don't know the nice guy, the guy you're being nice to, you don't know if they're crazy or not, or if they're going to think that because you're being nice that you're, um, you know, you like them or something like that. Mm-hmm. You know, God help women in service industry. God help women mm-hmm. in the service industry.
0: Um, everyone is a butthole to road in this episode. I'm sorry? Everyone is mean to Rogue in this episode.
1: Oh, yes. We need to talk about Scott and Rogue. Yes.
0: Um, and, and we've got this sort of reverse of the Jean-Fred situation yes. with Scott and Rogue um, where like it's very clear that he's play-acting um, but she's interested anyway, but also she's not super possessive but it, that eventually comes to be that she's constantly jealous of Jean for like the rest of the series.
1: Yeah, but you know, it's funny, like I so I, I don't, I don't, my read on Rogue is not that she's jealous of Jean only because of Scott. I think her jealousy stems from a lot of things and it a lot of it has to do with the fact that Jean just basically is everything that Rogue can't be.
0: Yeah. Everything does come easy to Jean.
1: Yeah, I mean like um,
0: but that's definitely not excusing. I have to say it is. that's definitely not excusing Blob's um, actions in this episode.
1: Oh no, no, one hundred percent no, no. Blob was in the wrong. One hundred percent.
0: It's not Jean's fault that everything comes easy to Jean. But yes, it, it would be really easy to dislike her because of that, especially if you if everything didn't come easy to you. Because, say, touching people <laughs> makes you partially kill them.
1: You say your adopted mother is a terrorist. Yeah. So yeah.
0: Yeah. um there's a scene in here when they're about to rescue Gene that absolutely definitely Wolverine's plan is to murder a kid.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> like that is full on what's going to happen here is that he's going to murder whoever has Gene. Which he knows is a kid at this point and yeah I don't know what your plan is Wolverine but that's a bad plan
1: he's the best there is at what he does
0: um, we do get some really good quotes in here um, Rogue says that Nightcrawler is like an annoying little brother I which... wonder
1: if that's ever going to play out
0: I remember that that was also a big thing when we were watching this 20 years ago um, <laughs> with all of the Nightcrawler's crew a bunch of people took big umbrage to the annoying little brother line um and few of us like right off the bat picked up on the like oh they're they're going to tease that mystique story then um a lot more people were mad that she called him an annoying little brother but frankly he's like an annoying little brother in this show
1: i mean he a hundred that's literally his whole character is the annoying little brother
0: yeah uh we get an accidental reverse fastball special where mm-hmm. where fred throws wolverine at cyclops <laughs> <laughs> um, i appreciated that because yeah we're probably never going to get an actual fastball special
1: no um, we don't
0: we do not get a fastball special but we did get an, an accidental reverse fastball special there um which i appreciate when people throw wolverine at other people
1: yeah yeah It, should, um, it has to, it should be done more it should be done more. And
0: Rogue gets two more really good lines. She she calls Fred Um and um, my power is your power, and I can take more than one. Is like, I feel like that is an iconic line for Rogue.
1: I agree. I I was rewatching it again today, and I was like, that is such a kick ass Rogue line. It it again. It a hundred percent in a few words tells you exactly what her power is, but it's so. It's so well written. It's a really good line. It's a really concise way to to, to say who she is.
0: Yeah. Um, and so she saves the X-Men. She throws Fred in the dump, at which point he starts yelling at Seagulls for laughing at him. And that's the moment where I go, you just undid all of the like, maybe we kind of understand why Blob is the way he is. And now he's throwing tires and yelling at birds because they're laughing at him. Yeah,
1: yeah, I will say that Rogue lived up to her name because she went rogue. Yep. Yeah. yeah. She, uh, she, you know, who knows what side she's on, but we'll find out soon enough what side she's on. Well, won't we? Um. Let me see.
0: We basically don't see any of the other Brotherhood in this episode in no, fact i is, don't think we get we don't see them at all no except we don't for mistake
1: we don't and you know what's funny is that after this episode blob does not do much yeah he really does he's really there's not a whole lot of storylines about blob after this like off the top of my head i'm thinking like there's a lot that goes on with lance because of kit like there's a lot with him and kitty there's a lot that goes on with, to- with toad especially once wanda shows up because there's all that shit with her and him um, but there's even before that, there's like stuff between him and Nightcrawler. Um, mm-hmm. And then when Pietro shows up, there's a ton of stuff with Pietro because he's like, the he becomes the conduit between the Brotherhood and, and Magneto. But yeah, like there's really just not a whole lot for Blob to do in the Which show. Which
0: is extra interesting because he's the only super strength character in the show for a while.
1: Yeah, well, until, until Hank, I guess, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Which is interesting because it's superheroes everyone has super strength um so when we finally get someone whose power is super strength and then he just kind of gets sidelined after one episode of development
1: yeah but you know why though because super strength is not that interesting like super strength like think think about it this way so You've got, sup- so you've got Blob who's got super strength, but then you've got Hank who's got super strength, but also is like blue and furry and like agile and like looks is, looks more dynamic, is more interesting that way, right? Mm-hmm. You know, same thing with like, you know, you've got characters who can fly, but then you've got Storm who can fly, but also can control the weather, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you've got, you know, Jean is a tele- tele- uh, telepathic, just like Xavier, but Jean is also telekinetic. She can do more than just you know. So when you've got a character whose power is kind of a like a one note one level character, there's not there's not a whole lot of story you can tell with it.
0: And that's part of the reason why I really like the the, the gravimetric or um, density or mm-hmm. yeah, what whatever the other explanations for his immovable and like you then you get literal about the immovable.
1: Wait, is there? I like ex- all that stuff. Isn't there a super dense? Oh my God, this is a deep cut, man! Isn't there a super dense character on the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants in Nocturne's world? Oh my God, there totally is. What's his name? Dwarf? Is it dwarf?
0: Oh yeah, white dwarf.
1: Is it white dwarf? Yeah, yeah, this super dense guy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Deep cut, man. Deep cut.
0: Deep cut.
1: Yeah, if it has. That's like what
0: three issues of Exiles from also 20 years ago
1: i would say he appeared in one issue of exiles yeah um and yeah it was the one where we went back to nocturne's world uh listen if it's got anything to do with nocturne i know everything about it so all right so
0: on that note what did we learn today
1: um well blob is an incel that's number one Mm -hmm. uh consent is important Still learning that. We're that that's a learning in process. I feel like that's going to take four seasons to learn.
0: Yeah, especially because everyone just keeps grabbing each other. Quit grabbing each other. That's what we learned.
1: I'm I'm going, to, I'm going to say with confidence that we don't learn about consent for a while because I know for a fact there's an episode where a character kisses another character without asking while wearing an image inducer, like three seasons from now. <laughs> so. Yeah. And it's not the character you think it is.
0: Oh, um, we also learned that Jean doesn't have to look like a like a weird preppy weirdo because she, she rocks that fringed leather jacket and cowboy hat.
1: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Which I love that the idea of going incognito for the X-Men in X-Men Evolution is a cowboy hat. I
0: mean, they're at the state fair
1: that's true that's a good point it's a good point i'm gonna call it right
0: there yeah.
1: yeah perfect no doubt the good professor wiped your mind so you can't remember anything
0: get out <laughs> <laughs>